Okay, we're starting a new series, Spiritual Disciplines and Why They Are Important. We're going to spend the next, oh, seven, eight, nine weeks going through these. And uh, we want to start today by talking about what is spiritual discipline. I mean, when we talk about spiritual disciplines and why they're important, what exactly are we talking about? What, what is that? So let's look at Acts chapter 2, begin in verse 40. Uh, let's read a few verses, and then we're going to talk about this and try and understand what spiritual discipline really is. Acts 2 and verse 40, with many other words, he warned them. Now, somebody tell me, who is he? Peter. Okay? Christ has ascended. The Holy Spirit has come. Now they're, they're beginning their ministry. They're beginning the ministry of being ambassadors for Christ and sharing the gospel. And Peter is preaching in Jerusalem to a large group of Jewish people. The Bible says that Peter warned them, save yourselves. Oh, by the way, notice it says, and he pleaded with them. This, this was not Peter doing something out of obligation. He was doing something he was passionate about. And he's pleading with these people to listen to it. He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 41. Those who accepted his message. Stop right there for a second. You know, isn't it interesting that every single word in the Bible has such powerful impact if we just look at it? You know what this tells me? That everybody did not accept his message. But those who did, God focused on in the Scripture. Those who accepted his message. You know, one of the things, whenever you're serving the Lord and you're ministering for Christ, or you're praying for your friends and your neighbors and your relatives and your co-workers, and you're wanting to see them come to know Christ, one of the things that is so common as Christians is that we get discouraged when people don't accept it. Nobody likes rejection. If you've ever been in sales, like I was for 13 years, one of the things that you have to learn how to get over if you're going to be successful in sales is rejection. Because believe me, you will get it. Everybody you talk to doesn't buy what you're selling. So what you have to do is move on till you find those that accept it. Sales quite often is called the numbers game. If you call on five people, you got a one out of five chance of selling something. If you call on 500 people, then you got a much greater opportunity of finding somebody that will buy something. So in ministry, don't get discouraged when everybody doesn't accept it. Everybody's not. But notice what God did. Notice what Peter did. They focused on the ones who did. You have a Bible study and two people show up. If you want to start a, a little prayer coffee time with some of your friends and only one person shows up, don't focus on the five people that didn't come because all you're going to do is get discouraged. Focus on the one person who did come because that's the one God brought to you. That's what they did. So the Bible says here, those who accepted his message were baptized. First step of obedience. It didn't save them, didn't change their life. It was their first step towards discipleship that we're going to talk about in a minute. They were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let me tell you, if every time I had an evangelistic crusade and preached one sermon, and 3,000 people got saved, I would be a very happy evangelist. Can you imagine that? One sermon, and the very next day, as a result of that one sermon, we start a church with 3,000 members. Unbelievable. Let me ask you a question. 
Do you think that's still possible? Sure it is. Has God changed? Not a bit. Do you think people are more obstinate toward the gospel today than they were then? Of course not. I mean, back then, you know what they did with Christians? They hung them on a cross, they tied them to a stake, and they burned them alive. They killed them. I mean, last time I heard, we're not doing too much of that in America right now. I mean, there's, it's no harder today than it was then. God hasn't changed. What's different? I think the Peters of the world are different. If you look at the disciples and the apostles and the people that God used to bring about these kinds of changes during the Bible times when all this was happening, compare their life and the things that they valued and the things that they were committed to and the things that they were passionate about to the general Christian population in America today. And if we take a good close look at that, we may identify why these things don't happen more often today. God hadn't changed, lost people hadn't changed, and the power of the Holy Spirit hadn't changed. Well, there's only one other piece missing. It's us. Maybe we need to change. Well, let's see what we can do to do that. Look at verse 42. After they got saved, here's what they did. And we, we look at... Um, this passage of Scripture a lot in our class. This is where it kind of all begins. Verse 42. They devoted themselves. Here's the first key to us being like what they were. They were devoted. They were dedicated to whatever these things are. They were committed to these things. What were they committed to? They, were, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Basically, here's what they were devoted to in a nutshell. They were devoted to learning what God said was the right way to live. When it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, that doesn't mean they were devoted to attendance whenever the apostles were given a sermon. They were devoted to the teaching that was being given to them. Whatever they were being taught, they were devoted to learning it and putting it into practice in their life. That's what they were devoted to. Not just showing up for some sermon. Then they were devoted to each other. Look at it. Breaking of bread, prayer, fellowship. All three of those things have to do with what we call today community. They were devoted to each other because all three of those things they did with each other. They loved each other. They liked being together. They helped each other. We're not going to read the rest of the passage, but you know what it says. They came together, they pooled all their resources, and during the time of famine and during the time of persecution, if there were other believers that needed anything, they all pooled their resources and they helped each other. That's what caused this gospel to explode in the book of Acts. If you'll notice in verse number 47, the Bible says they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They got along. They loved each other. And notice what happened as a result. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. He didn't stop at 3,000. Man, they just kept coming. Every day they kept coming. But why did they come? Because of the believers and what was happening in their lives. The Bible says they were together. They helped each other. They fellowship, they prayed together, 
They broke bread together. They had favor with each other. And lost people saw that going on. They saw that kind of community and said, man, I want to be a part of that. So, how do you get to that? How do you to get to the place where as believers were like that? Well, it takes spiritual discipline. If you look on the front of your study sheet, I've got three very interesting pictures that I so amply searched out and found on the Internet to put on the front of our study sheet. One of the things about discipline is it incorporates every facet of our life. Now, let me ask you this as we start. On the front of your study sheet, you've got a guy and you've got a lady, and they are lifting weights. When we think of discipline and we think of exercise, this is normally what we think of. Physical discipline. All of us have challenges with discipline in some area of our life. Everybody does. I mean, that's because we're human. We all have challenges. I have them. I have lots of them. Um, one of the things that starting this series has done is that um, I have, once again, for about the 450th time in my life, been convicted about my physical condition and the lack of discipline that causes it to deteriorate. And then I'm looking up these pictures of these people going to the gym and sweating and working out, and I'm thinking, oh, brother, here it comes. But the truth is, you need that. You need that. Is it easy? For some people it is. For others of us, it's not. But it takes discipline. But I want you to notice the third picture that's up underneath the two pictures of physical discipline. The picture of a Bible and some folded hands in prayer. Spiritual discipline is what supports every facet of our life. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, you know what Paul told Timothy? Physical exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for everything. Physical discipline and physical exercise is important. Please don't misunderstand. Paul did not say it was unnecessary. It is important. But in comparison to the effect that spiritual discipline to be godly has on our life, its profit is very little. So, we need both, is the truth. However, how many of us spend all kinds of time disciplining our body, but very little time disciplining our soul? I would venture to say that the average Christian, me included, is probably like that. So, that's what we want to learn about over these next eight or nine weeks, is how can I make some changes in those areas of my life, and what do I need to do? So, today... To define what spiritual discipline is, I want to give you three words. We want to look at these three words and help hopefully understand what spiritual discipline is. The first word is the word discipleship. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, we have what is called the Great Commission. And this is where Jesus told his apostles what he wanted them to do after he was gone. He said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's how the King James puts it baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. When he says, go into all the world and teach all nations, the word teach there is the Greek word mateteo. 
It comes from the word mathetes. Mathetes is the word translated disciple. Literally, Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples in every nation. Okay, what is a disciple? The Greek word literally means a student or a pupil or a learner. So a disciple is a student. Okay? Many of you teach and you have students. But let, let's, let's leave that arena and let's go back a few years to when we were students. Do you remember when you were a student? Whether it was high school or college? Do you remember being a student? Do you remember what it required? Well, first of all, it required getting up on Monday morning and going to school. How many of you, every day of your life as a student, woke up at whatever time you woke up on Monday morning, just all bubbly and excited, thank God I get to go to school today and study English and history and math and science and all that other junk? Not many of us. Why do they have attendance rules for school? Because if you didn't, nobody would ever go. Why do they have to make us do that? Because we naturally don't like to do that. How many of you love doing three and four hours of homework every night? You didn't love it. How many of you did it anyway? Those of you that made it, did. Those of us that barely made it, did less. Any of you that didn't make it, you didn't do it. Here's the point. To be a student academically takes more than just showing up for an hour one day a week. Being a student spiritually takes the same thing. How many of you would say, as a believer, I am a disciple of Christ? I think most of us would. What kind of a disciple am I? Let me put it another way. What kind of student am I? Those of you that do teach, how do you like it when your students don't pay attention? How do you like it when they talk to other students while you're trying to teach? How do you like it when they don't do their homework? How do you like it when they fail a test? Do you take it personally? I think I probably would. That's what we are. We're students, and Jesus Christ is our master teacher. What is a disciple? A disciple is a student. It literally means to study to be like Christ. In 1 Peter, the Bible tells us that he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Matthew 5.16 says we're to let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We've learned that the term glorify literally means to give the right opinion of God. We want to glorify God. That means we want to give the right opinion to other people of who He is. Well, in order to do that, we have to study Him to learn what He's like so we can live in every aspect of our life like Him. Discipleship is not for the weak. Discipleship is not for the lazy. Discipleship is not for the ho-hum, I'll be a Christian when it's convenient person. What we're about to talk about over the next eight to nine weeks is something that the average believer 
struggles severely with. But it's vitally important to going back to those days when one sermon brings 3,000 people to Christ. So first of all, it's the term discipleship. In John chapter 6, we don't have time to read it, read sometime verses 60 through 69. Jesus has just given the bread of life discourse. And at the end of this discourse, the Bible says that many of his disciples left and no longer followed him. Now, somebody, the first time I read that, I thought, well, does that mean all his disciples left him? And I was confusing the term disciple with the term apostle. There is a difference. An apostle has certain characteristics, and there were only 14 men in the Bible ever identified as apostle. The original 12, then Matthias, 13, who replaced Judas, then Paul, who eventually was named an apostle. There were only 14 of those. There were hundreds and hundreds of disciples. Were the apostles also disciples? Sure they were. They were students. But Jesus had lots of students. In John 6, the Bible says, after this discourse, a lot of his students went back and were no longer students of his. They quit school. Jesus, we're out of here. We don't want to be in your school anymore. You know what John 6 says about those people? They were never true believers to begin with. He says, the Bible says there, Jesus knew those who really did not believe in Him. And that's why they left and no longer walked with Him. Then it's encouraging because He looked at His disciples, the ones called apostles, and said, do you guys want to leave too? You know what Peter said? Lord, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the Son of God. If we leave, where are we going to go? That's the key. The difference between somebody who's going through the motions and somebody who realizes Jesus is the only answer to every aspect of my life. So, discipleship. Number two, desire. Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 26. Um, take your Bible and turn here. Let's read this. This, to me, is the ultimate description of a person's desire to be a student of Jesus Christ. This is Paul's own description of his desire towards Christ. Philippians chapter 1, look with me at verse number 20. Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. And notice, it takes courage. Remember I said it's not for the weak. It's a hard thing to do. He said that I will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now notice what Paul is saying here. Paul said, if I have to die, which by the way, in the first century was a very real possibility. And eventually he did for the cause of Christ. If I have to die so Christ can be exalted in my life, that's what I'm willing to do. I am at, Paul says, that level of dedication. But you know what? Have you ever heard people talk about how much they love the Lord and I'd be willing to die for Christ? But then you look at how they live and you begin to wonder, how could you ever die for Him when you don't hardly ever live for Him? Notice what Paul said. Paul said, whether by life or death, He is glorified. You know, it's a lot harder to live every day 
doing the things that God wants us to do to be like Christ than it is to die one time? You know that? It's harder. So we got to live like Him so we can die for Him. That's what Paul is saying. Notice what he says in verse 21. One of my favorite verses. Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ. If you want to know what summarizes the reason I live, Paul said it can be summarized in one word, Christ. Now let me ask you this. A lot of times when we talk about that, we talk about somebody being dedicated to Christ like that, we think about, well, that's all the people that are missionaries and pastors and preachers, and they're the ones that are like that. Okay? Did Paul have a secular job? Sure. He was a tent maker. Anybody know anything about how they make tents? Now they have machines and things that pop them out. I don't think Paul had one of those. They had to take whatever material they used to do it, and it wasn't synthetic. They got it from animals or wherever they got it. They had to prep it, and they were all sewn by hand. So whatever his job was, just to make one of these things, probably took a lot of time. So this is not a guy who walks around with his hands folded, praying all the time, and then every now and then he opens his eyes so he can preach a sermon, then he goes back to praying, and then he preaches, gets a little food, goes back to praying. That's not that. That's not Paul. This is a guy that lived a real life. He traveled. He made tents. He earned a living. He lived a real life. But he said, my whole life is wrapped up in one thing. Jesus Christ. Everything I do is for one purpose. To glorify Christ. So what that means is we can do that no matter what we do. That's desire. Now, desire is not always a feeling. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27, this is where Paul says, and we'll look more at this verse as we go through this series, it's actually going to become our theme verse. Paul says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. That's discipline. Let me give you the Greek meaning. I tell my body what to do. My body doesn't tell me what to do. That's discipline. Does our body always listen to us? Nope. It doesn't. That's why it's hard. But that's what discipline is. So just because I don't feel like living for God or just because I don't feel like doing what God wants me to do doesn't mean that I'm a bad person It doesn't mean that I don't love God, and it doesn't mean that I can never be used by God the way He wants to use me. We all feel like that sometimes. Matter of fact, we all feel like that a lot of times. It's not easy. So, desire to live for God is not always a feeling. So, first word, discipleship. It's not for the weak. It's a serious thing. Number two, desire. And number three, the last thing, discipline. Webster's Dictionary defines discipline like this. Training that perfects molds or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. Literally, discipline is a training that matures my actions and my character. But it's a training. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's also defined like this. Control that is gained by enforcing obedience or order. Discipline is control that is gained 
by enforcing obedience or order. In other words, Paul said, there are a lot of times that I'm supposed to do things I don't want to do, so I gain control of the situation by enforcing obedience in my life. I make myself do what I'm supposed to do. I enforce it. We have in our country an organization that is called Law Enforcement, commonly known as the police of all different kinds and branches. What do they do? In a nutshell, they enforce the law. They gain control by enforcing obedience and order. That's why it's called law and order. You know, in our lives spiritually, we have to do the same thing. We've got to be the spiritual police for our own life to enforce obedience and spiritual order in our life. If you remove all restraints, your life will run wild and end up in a disaster. We have to have discipline. That's what this is talking about. So, how do we do this? Well, 1 Corinthians 9 is our key. We've got to learn what tools to use, what exercises to go through in order to help me become the person Christ wants me to come. So, what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we are going to look at, in the Bible, the spiritual disciplines, the exercises, the practices, the areas of our life that we need to be disciplining ourselves in, the things we need to do daily in order for you and I to be able to practice spiritual discipline and become like Christ. And we'll go through several things. Most of them, you already know what they are. But we're going to reinforce them. We're also going to talk about why each one of them is important. What aspect of following Christ and being a good student of Christ do these things affect? And, and next week, we'll actually get into the first part. I'll give you next week a list of all the, the disciplines we're going to look at so that you'll have an idea of what's coming down the road. But that's what we're going to spend the next few weeks studying. I will tell you this. Of all the things that I've ever taught since I've been here, this one has probably affected me more than any of them. Because it's one of the hardest things for me to do. And we, as we get into it, you're going to see as we talk about what God says it takes to do these things and why they're so vitally important, we're all going to start to see why it's so hard to do it and why it takes discipline. Whenever you go to the gym... Uh, there is a common saying around the gym, at least it used to be decades ago when I used to go, and it was, no pain, no gain. You know why that is? Because in order for muscle and tendon mass to grow, it has to be stretched beyond its comfort zone. I'm going through physical therapy for my shoulder. The rotator cuff has like four different aspects that wrap all around your shoulder. It's this gigantic tendon that makes everything work. And when they operated on my shoulder, my rotator cuff shriveled up. And now it's being stretched back out. And when my physical therapist takes my arm and stretches it beyond its comfort zone, it hurts like the dickens. But I've been doing it now for almost two and a half months and my shoulder moves to places it never moved before 
because that discipline, that pain, is producing gain. Well, spiritual discipline is no different. No pain, no gain. It's not going to be easy, but it's well worth it. Okay? Father, thank you for the chance to study your word. Help us to be disciplined believers so that you can use our lives to change the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.